0: Welcome to another episode of Midnight Bath. I'm your host, Bulan Ackman, and with me today is my father, Ergerman Ackman. And today, uh, why don't I let my guest tell us what we're going to talk about?
1: Well, I guess uh, there are a couple of things happening. Uh, One of them is the the worldwide main event, uh, the coronavirus. People are going to say, when are we going to go back to normal, and then some other people say, well, we can't go back to that normal because this abnormal is the result of that normal. So we are trying to find a different normal. But in all of this, most of the discussion is about money. So I think we're going to concentrate on on money, uh, either from an economist's point of view. Uh, but we are going to do it as a cultural study or an anthropological uh, way we approach or archaeological way we approach to money and what is money and what was money. And at one time, did money grow on trees? Yes, it did grow on trees in South America when people were trading with cocoa beans. So uh, we're going to take it from a historical perspective and bring it to today, and what it means to different people. And maybe we can just leave it on the table to see what will happen next.
0: Okay, so because this is a podcast about Uh, storytelling, and where stories get told, uh, today we're going to be telling the story of money.
1: Absolutely. So
0: where did it get started?
1: Well, I think like many things in, in life, it is easy to say that the origins of money is also murky, because trying to learn more about everything, and the more we learn about, the murkier it gets. But we know that about... 5,500 years ago in Mesopotamia uh, monetary units appeared like but they appeared as um, mainly to calculate uh, debt like it was part of a record keeping and then another 1500 years passed by and then Eurasian traders well um, these early civilizations created centers of um, commerce and um, and then people were trading, and beyond language barriers, different materials were coming to the market. So it cannot be resolved by simple bartering. So people decided to have some kind of a common unit. So when we see around four thousand years ago, you know, chunks and mainly it was uh, it was silver, because people were hanging on to gold because gold was kind of valuable and they didn't use it in trading. So. The early monetary unit of shekel is, uh, which is common to many of Middle Eastern cultures still today, uh, people started using roughly these chunks of metal as a as a unit to to trade. But of course, can be can be only limited to Middle East or Eurasian cultures, or eventually to Europe. But also in Latin America, uh, similar things were happening. And uh, maybe 3,000 years ago or so, Latin American cultures were beginning to trade in in cocoa, cotton, seashells, or even salt, depending on where they grow and uh, where it is rare. And the ruling classes were trying to uh, amass uh, fortunes by asking their people to give them or show their (laughs) appreciation to the rulers by giving them... Uh, these so-called values. But again, I mean, going back to our original claim, in South America if cocoa bean were traded, then we can say the money did grow on
0: trees. Yeah, but cocoa beans go bad. I mean, it's kind of like a use-it-or-lose-it situation here.
1: I don't think because people were in in cycles, were borrowing from their rulers some of these materials and some of the Uh, temple drawings we see people trading not only in cocoa beans but also in pieces of cloth and then this type of textile industry uh, expanded and they were basically exchanging. So we're talking about a monetary system. We're not going back to just the last 200 to 400 years but sociologically uh, whether it's a straight transaction or a glorified version of um, bartering. But eventually, we we can come and we can't deny the 1776 publication of Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations. Now, this is an economical approach. Of course, um, economists have a consensus on what the book says, uh, basically, um, uh, about trading decisions. So The Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith, are trying to find out how we make the decisions to trade and how it balances itself by using a supply and demand equation. So he's basically saying, as the new classes are rising up, uh, trying to limit initially the, the church influence and then eventually the government influence, saying that there's no government involvement in this, things will take care of itself. It is simply... A balance of supply and demand. Now we know that it is not like that. But of course, uh, this story, uh, from an anthropological point of view, they say it is all wrong. Uh, this is a basically Adam Smith's version of a creation myth of financial systems. And um, it ignores uh, what happened in the past
0: well i was told that uh, he doesn't he was reacting to mercantilism which was depressing international trade and leading to very high tariffs that prevented goods from reaching customers but the criticism I was again told because I haven't read Adam Smith yet. I've only read summaries of Adam Smith was that he never really arrives at a clear theory of price or a clear theory of value. I do get that the information needed to make a good decision is distributed throughout a marketplace. And I think the magic of money is that if you have 11 people and one dollar, you can have 11 transactions and $11 worth of transactions with only one dollar because it's fungible and unlike beans, it doesn't go bad. But the problem of inflation where governments can simply print enough money, you know, fiat currency to fund things like wars, was why uh, Adam Smith was uh, interested in backing currency with hard metals. But the problem of that, from what I've read, is that hard metals being physically limited do the exact opposite of what you want them to do when there's an economic downturn at precisely the moment where you want to inject more liquidity into an economy. People are getting scared, so they hoard their cash, so it further decreases the liquidity necessary to keep the economy moving.
1: Well, here we go in two different directions. One of them is the rise of mercantilism and the economies where they need um, supplies to... Manufacture things, and then once they manufacture in larger quantities, the way to make wealth is to sell them through a, um, a colonial system um, to amass wealth. I mean, we know this from India that they were bringing salt from England. They're not; they were not allowing the locals to to have uh, salt fields to make their own salt, or trying to make their own fabrics. So they are selling them the fabrics, and it was illegal to make their own fabrics and you know we see gandhi making a little bit of salt and also trying to do some uh, some you know spinning some thread and things like that but that's where the anthropologists and the uh, archaeologists uh, find flaws in uh, what adam smith was saying because he's totally disregarding what happened before and in their in their mind it is not about supply and demand but it was a tool of the governments to pay off public work debts and to collect taxes so having this common common unit even in you know small scale societies uh debts mean obligations to to other people like simply uh when they were giving their dollars away with some wealth attached to sending her away to a new family they would expect this family to send them in reciprocity, another daughter with some wealth attached. So they balance the books that way. But this is like there's no cash needed at the point. But when in Mesopotamia, the shekel is like a lump of metal, which, is not a, which wasn't a coin at the time as a basic monetary unit, uh, they started to uh, replace or eliminate some of the uneven things in, in, in economic life. You got farmers that are being taxed in a way to support, like some, some royals. Well, I, and and public works, of course, like dams and other things and waterworks and whatnot.
0: I don't believe there was ever a social contract, but the story of the social contract that I was taught was that in exchange for the protection of your physical body, the serf agrees to supply the Lord with the grain, which the Lord will then defend. And if I'm not mistaken, the origin, of the word Lord is the loaf hoarder, the one who collects and guards the bread and the grain that
1: actually I'm, is made
0: uh, into the bread.
1: Um... The Lord and the Lady, the word is like basically um etymologically, Lord is the the owner of the granary, and uh, lady the word comes from the bread maker, so Lord would give the key, so they'll bring some grain, and then she will make the bread, so to speak i mean that and the Lord was, the, was the in a better room. position
0: to defend the grain from absolutely. uh attackers
1: absolutely, but that's a very small farming community within themselves when, uh, for example, again, we know that from some of the theories of Maria Gimbutas that there were societies in the great Steppes that uh, there was a basic equality and there were no rulers or ruled. Uh, people would, I mean, there's some kind of an early socialism or mother goddess cult, and, but even those societies, uh, they would burn their uh, communities about every 80 years and move to a new location. So they need this kind of rejuvenation ritual of rebirth and recreating again. But when, the, when people were hoarding, that means um, like the traders, they had to go to temple. Sometimes the temples were hoarding or to the ruler to borrow. Like the idea is to have debt and eventually to settle the debt. And that's where originally where money is, money is coming from. Now, uh, this brings us back to how did they, they mint the first coins. And we know it is um, in about 2,600 years ago, today's Turkey in Lydia, uh, they started minting coins. And very quickly, Greece, Persia, India, and China followed suit. So they were, they were making coins.
0: I have some quotes from some books I've been reading. I wonder what you think about them. Sure. Uh, the first quote comes from The Revolution of Everyday Life by Raoul uh, Vannegen, translated by Donald Nicholson Smith, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Page 54. What is the mystery of money? The clear answer is that money represents a sum of beings and things that can be appropriated. And the second quote is, uh, also from page 54, money is no more than a sign of what might be acquired, a draft on power.
1: Of course, because, I mean, once they started minting, so what happens? Then they, they start um, trying to gain more wealth, so they start larger and more faraway wars basically, and conquest.
0: Meanwhile, because the coinage started, is getting shaved back it, home.
1: Yeah, the coinage starts this sort of like, once it becomes a legal tender. So in that respect, we can go back and say, like, what is the marketplace? It is not a cause. It is the result of coin. Like marketplace in that sense, without a unitized uh tradable value didn't exist, like markets existed and they said, oh, we got a market now, let's have a coin. It's the other way around. Once they started having coins, they started a different marketplace. Well, from barter to uh, sort of creating value and, of course, debt. Now, uh, I want to bring something, I mean, did the humans change at all? Because we can talk a little bit about Bitcoin. And the interesting thing is the in the Micronesia Islanders of Yap. Uh, they go and create this huge round stones. Of course, there's a hole in it so they can transport it, but they go to uh, different islands. Usually, it's a huge trek to go to different islands where a certain type of stone existed, and they'll carve it, and they'll try to make it as big as possible, and they carry it back. It's almost like a like a social project uh, similar to Göbekli Tepe that there was a common goal that brings people together. And then they come back and have a huge festival. People are witnessing the bringing back of this huge, very heavy value, sort of not necessarily money because people say it's kind of a money. Yes, because when you're in need and there was a famine, you would loan it to the neighboring tribe to get food from them. But since everybody witnessed it in a way similar to a blockchain today with the Bitcoin, like you share it and everybody knows and everybody records it, even though the the YAP Islanders money was exchanging hands, there was another ceremony of sending the stone away, bring the stone back. So in that way, people have this concept in their minds of recording uh, transactions and the marketplace. Now, uh, there was, an, I will change the subject a bit, but um, how the, the the trading was kind of started with the stock exchanges, um, Dutch was very much into it, and there was another interesting story of, uh, to be able to tax things being brought from the Americas to Spain and Portugal, they would unload everything in some Atlantic island, so they can count them, and the king can tax them. They can measure what they were bringing in. And then sometimes it changed hands and uh, Spanish brought material was purchased on these islands by the Dutch or the, by, the, uh, by the Portuguese. And eventually they ended up in uh, those trading uh, Hanseatic Sea League towns and the Dutch was very prominent in this. So they would bring these goods and uh, the way the city plan shows that there were many Sort of central locations where people could load up the stuff in one area for, for timber and the other area. Then eventually they brought in turkeys to sell in certain parts of the town, but they were making such a big noise and they were basically shitting all over. So that, that could, <laughs> honestly, honest, honestly, we can't. We better trade this item without seeing it. So that's when they started. Um, uh, what they call in Europe a burst or a stock exchange, the idea of not seeing the item but trading the item so this uh, this noisy bird is another way that money and the way we uh, trade with money or the way we create wealth with money in through stock exchange sort of started also
0: Well, I'd like to read you a quote from Thomas Friedman okay. It's about uh, sustainability in economics. He writes, we have created a system for growth that depended on our building more and more stores to sell more and more stuff made in more and more factories in China, powered by more and more coal that would cause more and more climate change, but earn China more and more dollars to buy more and more U.S. T-bills. So America would have more and more money to build more and more stores and sell more and more stuff that would employ more and more Chinese. Uh, We can't do this anymore, end quote.
1: Well, we can't do this anymore because, first of all, uh, again, going back to our original starting point, the the coronavirus and what will happen next, uh, people were sold on um, global trade. They were told that, guys, you must wait a little bit we're going to create a different kind of wealth through global trade, and let us do it, it's going to trickle down to you, and then that experiment somewhat failed, which was started with the mercantilism, and they were trying to get the developing countries to get a move on this, but it is not trickling down, so we have to trade a little bit differently. So, I think even though uh, it it looks crazy, but um, Trump's idea of like let's manufacture things here is making to a certain extent some sense because a lot of nations are trying to manufacture locally. And that's another way of giving employment to people and not creating wealth through, um, you know, services, but with actually making things.
0: Well, okay, but when you try to grow grapes in Scotland, you can do it, but it's going to be 30 times more expensive than growing grapes in France. Okay. Wouldn't well, it be better for Scottish wine drinkers to trade something they can absolutely. produce now, easily, know, like um, wool?
1: For example, the Dutch were among the, the biggest traders in oranges. Uh, the most important thing is having a contract to, to be able to sell oranges. To, and and Dutch, they have some um, uh, like international food stores and things like that. So, uh, but not even one orange grows in in Holland. But they have the contract to buy them from a Latin American country and to sell it to another third party. The same way, uh, like the Irish and the Swedish are selling. Um, you know, large amounts of bananas. I don't think even one banana grows in Ireland or in Sweden. So in some respects, uh, you have to have a deal because trading is not simply uh, trading by showing a big stick and and using your military power to uh, make people follow your, you know, global trading wishes. But reality, who needs what and trying to get that material to them?
0: This is from the Society of the Spectacle by Guy Debord. Okay. Translated by uh, Tom Vag. Uh, when economic necessity is replaced by the necessity for boundless economic development, the satisfaction of primary human needs is replaced by an uninterrupted fabrication of pseudo needs, which is reduced to a single pseudo need of maintaining the reign of the autonomous economy. Mm-hmm. The Chinese are demanding higher wages and it's becoming more expensive to manufacture there. Eventually manufacturing will continue to seek, because of competition, places where labor is cheaper. Vietnam is taking some of the business away from China and then wages will increase there as people aspire to uh, okay. Western lifestyle. We don't have the resources on this planet. Everybody...
1: <laughs> I'm glad you say the V word, basically Vietnam. Now, we know that a famous American shoe manufacturer makes sports shoes in Vietnam. The roughly, they say it costs them $10 to make each shoe, which retails in the United States for $140. And when they're asked, why are you manufacturing in Vietnam, how much it would cost to manufacture in United States. They say it's going to cost us $50 to make it in the United States, but $10 to make it in um, in Vietnam. But in the end, they're still selling it for $140. So the $10 shoe enters the system at a cost of $50 before they sell it to the store. So, But they decided to grab that Forty dollar difference. The same thing is happening in iPhones. They are putting uh, when every time there's a new iPhone, somebody disassembles it and find out how much it costs for each component. So they're about spending forty to fifty dollars in South Korea, another forty dollars or fifty dollars in, in Taiwan, or sometimes in Japan, and then the Chinese are putting it together for you know five to ten dollars a phone. Putting it all all the way to the box, putting in a box and shipping it over, whereas the California company, because of their intellectual property, they make eighty dollars on it before they put it on the shelf, and they sell it in their own stores in most cases, and, um, and there's even more money on top of everything. So and then, so there is some sort of inequality in the way we do things. Now, uh, once one thing we haven't touched is. Uh, not only cocoa beans and clothes and other things, but um, you know, living in Virginia, I know the the sort of slave history of Virginia and everything too. So humans eventually became chattels, and in, in rough times, also in Europe, people were giving their children away; they were selling them into slavery, and they would never recover them later on. So. Uh, from a strict slavery point of view, through formulation of debt, uh, they are creating new new slave societies. Basically, so it's not only the money, but humans as money, or humans as chattels, or humans humans as as capital is something uh, we still experience under a different guise.
0: So then. Like, on the one hand, it sounds like you agree that money is just a representation of what can be appropriated. On the other hand, I used to teach children in workshops that money is a decision, and that's all it is. It's the power to make decisions. If you have money, you have power.
1: But maybe it's not power anymore. There were two recent news that really intrigued me. One of them was the famous marshmallow test where children were holding on and not getting the marshmallow, not eating the marshmallow, so I can the second one. Recent tests show that children more and more are resisting the temptation, whereas people were thinking exactly the opposite way, that new generations are losing their patience. So kids or children, basically, they understand the value over a period of time. But money, it's not only money, It's information. And some of the um, social media companies looked into what they were doing by spreading the social media. They realized that people using the social media to find attractiveness or more clickability, they were trying to talk about opposing ideas. So the social media is causing fragmentation of the society and splitting the society into camps and a very hardening attitude. So we're not only trading in with money, but we are trading in um, sort of data, we are trading in in social media and the power of that. More and more people are saying even forget money and trading, we can't even run elections without the impact of these kind of um, power structures. So We still discussed a lot of things. Uh, We we might not have gone to the money's murky origins that much, but money also has a murky future. Whether it's a Bitcoin or not, it is like through social media witnessing uh, some change that is happening. And money is only um, one element of, of that trend.
0: So here we go. Uh... Well, the thing is, you know, you mentioned the bourse and the stock exchange and representations of real things and trading in representations. It seems to me that increasingly people don't want to deal with the complexity of economic realities. They would rather deal with uh, simplification and through representations. Social media seems to be just another way to alienate people from themselves, from each other, from real work, which is confused with productivity, because in real work, there is creativity, there is passion, there is effort that is an expression of the self, whereas productivity, an assembly line, Taylorism, uh, time in motion studies, uh, Foxconn employees uh, jumping out of buildings because now they have nets to stop them from killing themselves. Uh, it, it's not the same thing. But work even, in, and even productivity, in social media, reality and representation. In
1: social media, there are out there people who are converting their social media success to currency. So even social media presence can be monetized. So it's not different, like creating value, no matter where it is, and trying to uh, sort of replicate it with units that can be traded or or value can be created out of anything from social media, from Bitcoin mining, and, and from actual mining. And um, eventually, um, we are not that far from early societies where they have this, potluck culture that uh, the chiefs would expect people to bring gifts. They had this huge feast. At, at the end of the feast, people either grab the chief's property back, which was originally their property, so in some kind of a balancing act in some of these, these early societies. I think now, again, ending it on that note, maybe uh, coronavirus is another worldwide uh, potluck feast that uh, things were changing hands to create some kind of equality in the worldwide society.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned potluck because the, uh, the situationists of which Guy Debord was perhaps the most famous member had four basic principles, uh, the gift and the gift society, the potluck, derivé And uh, detournement. And it's beyond the scope of our talk today about the story of money to get into it. But with respect to the potluck, in communities, if you have a windfall and you isolate yourself, you retain all the benefits for yourself. But if you don't, a cousin needs to fix their car. Somebody needs their teeth fixed it gets dispersed and the community benefits. I think
1: this is the best time to read a little tale so we can go back to our storytelling and stories. The goose that laid the golden egg. So we are dealing with an enormous sized global goose and whether we get um, we allow this goose to lay an egg or we, we end up uh, killing the goose. So a well, eventually the goose
0: gets cooked. And you also mentioned uh, primitive societies, and it reminded me of something that David Hamilton, a uh, prominent uh, evolutionary economist or institutional economist, depending on how you look at it, wrote about the Tobriand Islanders and canoe building, because there are ceremonial aspects of you know, capital and power It requires a whole village to build a canoe and anyone could theoretically start canoe building, but only the chief can command a canoe to be built in such a way that everybody's going to get organized and do it. You know, uh, as soon as you have leaders, you have followers and followers are a kind of slave. We need organizers of play because the way it's working now, there is no trickle down cash only flows up. It only trickles up. Money and Mm -hmm. cash are not the same thing, mind you. But Um, if you want to stimulate the economy, yeah, uh, you need to have people consuming more. And when you give uh, someone who already has a certain uh, level of monetary Stability in terms of their income more cash. They're just going to invest more Very often outside Mm -hmm. their communities But if you give a poor person cash They're gonna fix their car fix their teeth Improve their house fix the roof which will immediately go directly back into the direct economy. So what are we going to do? with this global Ponzi scheme that we're left with, because we've talked a little bit about the story of money's past, and I honestly believe that debt was invented before of money. Of course,
1: uh, this debt was created by borrowing from the Royal Granary. Uh, there's a debt in the record keeping of this, but let me correct one thing. If I said about primitive societies, I think this is a really a Western debasement of other societies calling them primitive or Occupying their land and colonizing them and blaming them for cannibalism before you colonize them. I think we should use the word like earlier societies, different societies, and whether they were organized in, in closed but independent groupings. Um, uh, that's a very different story. So, this is a subject that cannot be handled in 30 40 minutes, but I think we touched to some of the that's things true. in there. and. Um, And I guess we know that the ancient world, let's call it ancient world, and money talked in some places and was quiet in others. Um, This is an ongoing saga. Whether it gets cleaner or murkier, we can discuss it in maybe other discussions or, or watch it for ourselves.
0: Well, I think it's quite um, serendipitous that you wanted to talk about the story of money because uh, two weeks ago, I started drafting a new short story where I'm the, the plot hinges on some economic uh, ideas. Uh, very briefly, without giving anything away, uh, we have a character who grows robots from seeds in a small uh, seaside community that hasn't had any trade with the only market left on the planet, which is a massive market on the other side of the sea called the Strand. And one day after decades of no trade, a ship appears, a salesman appears with new seats. And, And the thing is in this small society, Nobody will do business with you without an introduction.
1: Robots and things like that is like they're going to replace humans and they all gain like other qualities. But I think in the end, uh, they will have their own organizational units and humans would do other things.
0: Well, I don't know. Bill Gates says the robots should be taxed. But in the story, and maybe you can um, enlighten me, about your ideas about the future of economics and the future of money. In this small village, uh, there is only a reputation. You don't, she goes to a cafe and drinks something, but uh, it's automatically through technology, her reputation, which pays for it. So it's uh, knowing people directly and your reputation is how goods get exchanged. So, the, you know, you're yeah. directly connected to the products of your work. Well,
1: that's exactly what I was and... saying. When in some societies, they would have the, you know, 5,000-year-old Shekel. So, the money talked. And other society they decided to have a record of what's going on. So, they didn't have money. They were quiet about it. But still, the relationship developed whether you replaced it in a very straightforward fashion i I still remember that in old times people would pay their rents by putting the check or the money in those days there was money in an envelope that they wouldn't touch the money they would try to remove the idea of the money by enveloping it so the relationship of humans and money and how they deal with their needs is uh is very different in different different societies
0: Well, you see, that's the thing. Um, you know, when you're talking about early societies, I, I couldn't help but think of Neanderthals who were killed or died out, I, except for some interbreeding, of course, but I think maybe they were smarter than us because they were probably not exhausting all the resources and moving on to a new territory, but trying to maintain some kind of external homeostasis with their environment, which meant that they were out competed but this behavior of human beings is now a problem because for example in the future society that i'm you know trying to imagine there are very few people left because okay. <laughs> in, in, you know evolution but has changed it's not evolution, progress, going it's just changed the,
1: the hominids rise in africa Uh, is basically they had to rise up because they were kicked from the trees from their more stronger pre-hominid brothers. So they get up and go. So what will happen is, uh, whether it's the Neanderthals moving to another area because there were no more berries in the bushes in those areas anymore. So people realistically to feed themselves, they keep moving. So uh, they move. So that's what we're gonna watch. Uh, large amounts of people moved between nations and worldwide immigration or, or or wealth exchange. And now there's going to be a little pullback. And in, in the times of this pullback, we realized that some people, uh, some companies are not going to make it, but they were um, not strong to begin with. So this is the the last push for them, but other companies would do better. And uh, people are trying to do things digitally, initially replacing what they do in real life in a digital version, but then um, in the end, creating new things that people didn't do in real life, that that was only possible in, in a digital um, environment. So there's gonna be some development uh, through this and um, I don't wanna be predicting and prophesying that this is gonna happen, that's gonna to happen too, but um, it's not gonna be easy, but uh, this is not the only time that humanity experienced large scale uh, problems uh, like the black plague in y- Europe and, and other things. So um, things will, will change.
0: Okay, they will change, but imagine two world wars, nuclear bombs on cities, the Spanish flu did not eliminate car culture and urban planning designed around roads in cities, which are horribly inefficient and terribly polluting. So not to to say nothing of restaurants and cafes and Organized sports and all of these things are incredibly uh, waste generating. I mean, the amount of garbage produced just by uh, the automobile industry, restaurants, cafes and sports stadiums is tremendous and it's not gone away despite much greater shocks than this pandemic. And William Gibson in his last book, which I believe was released in uh, January, 2020, um, Agency, it's uh, the second in the series after the peripheral, where after the jackpot is what he refers to, a series of environmental catastrophes, financial disasters and pandemics which uh, decimate the human race. In economies are now managed by hyper-intelligent artificial intelligences. And people um, live and work, but nobody has to produce anything. There are assemblers for that. It's, uh, I mean, when, when you think about automation, I think there's only one company in the world that manufactures the bulk of the controllers, I think it's called uh, Funak. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Go ahead. But the the story I'm trying to write about money in the future is an alternative to William Gibson's one, where the climate really did fail, and. Uh, global economy really did collapse and and how humans have created a new pattern and having that pattern disrupted by the arrival of a trader into a society that hasn't had outside business for like 50 60 years and how do you see the future of money and and trade and business beyond the short term because you know the golden age of Hollywood happened to you know, greater or lesser extent because the smaller multiplicity of uh, companies couldn't uh, continue to operate after the Spanish flu. Most of them went under. The few that remained uh, were the seeds of yeah, the but golden I think, age uh, apart of Apart from the
1: Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood always like flying down to Rio before Americans were interested in... Uh, sort of colonizing Latin America and everything. It's, it walks hand in hand, but this is maybe the way we can end this is the way we started it by going back to Adam Smith. I think uh, eventually uh, there is going to be a supply and demand issues. Now, how much government involvement is going to be in it? Nobody knows. Uh, like Italians are resisting, but uh, South Koreans are accepting uh, South Koreans are accepting uh, their phones to have uh, an, an app that will follow them so that they can stay away from a contagion. So we don't know how much the government is going to be involved or whether it's going to create new uh, dictatorships or not, or people who control the data became uh, dictators of data, or uh, supply and demand can give people if there is less demand, there will be less supply and there's a quietening of this sort of uh, economic bubble is a good thing or not. So I think uh, we can discuss these and uh, maybe in the next, next time we get together, we talk about uh, money and folklore. Huh? Sure. Well, in real life, large empires, they had to use some kind of a unit because if Somebody was growing grain uh, thousands of miles away. You cannot tax them by taking their grain. You have to take something else. There has to be a certain flow of a certain value to the center. So that's what I think money does. uh, Whether everybody has some little bit of money and they, they barter or trade. Basically today we use Money to buy things and do things is no different than bartering, but at the bottom of it, there's a huge uh, civil work and, and taxation system, and in, we see it in in creating still creating wars, and a war is a is a is a is an endless pit that doesn't produces something. Even though some people say that during times of war we invented this, we invented that, but actually. It's a drain on the economy as the economies, they try to gain more value with real wars or threat of wars. So uh, we really have to think about what is the role of humanities, nations, parties, neighborhoods, cities, states, countries, villages, farmers, hunters, people who go on vacation, you know, Italians were the latest nation to unify the small princedoms and whatnot, and before that, the Germans. So the fragmentation of the European uh, cities and the wealth—it's—it's uh, it's more of a like a recent phenomenon. And then they're trying to put it all together in the European Union. So whether it's about whether it's an issue of making decisions in larger units or allowing people to stay in smaller units and and creating a more direct um, democracy or decision making or the power of the local local trading i don't know it's 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 an open subject it has pros and cons like everything else and we don't want a, a total status but the dynamics of existence would create sometimes um an imbalance towards something but eventually through intervention or, or human behavior, which which varies a lot, can can correct some of these things. But okay, let's. I think um, we uh, expanded on a lot of things, and uh, maybe. But I think we can we can leave it there, and I leave it to you, <laughs> to edit the stuff out.
0: Well, thank you once again, and this has been the story of money, part one. I'm your host, Bill Ackman. Uh, My guest was Erju Ackman, my father, and this has been Midnight Bath. Just a brief postscript. After recording this podcast, I decided to read David Graeber's Debt, The First 5,000 Years, and it's my one recommendation for 2020, a thoroughly researched anthropological survey of the first 5,000 years of debt.